Well, it is a great pleasure to be here today, and I appreciate your attendance. Um, and I know that there are time limitations, so I'm just going to go on to the presentation here, because I would like to allow a little time for questions and answers as well. Uh, last night, I gave a more scholarly presentation on the role of religion in pre uh, American presidential elections and how that may have been changing over time. Uh, today, I, and, and I spoke then more as a scholar, and uh, today I'm going to speak much more as a Christian. Um, I'm sorry. So this morning I'm going to speak somewhat less from my perspective as a scholar and far more from my personal Christian faith and understanding. Of course, much of my scholarly focus has been on the role of religion and particularly that of American Christians in uh, American political life. And certainly, given my scholarly interest in politics, I've also thought seriously about how Christians should engage in public life. So this is how I'm going to proceed. First, I'm going to make a quick assessment of the political context in which this presidential campaign is taking place. Uh, then I'm going to make a brief assessment of the two major political candidates uh, in this election. And then finally, and most importantly, I'm going to outline some considerations that Christians should follow in assessing these two primary candidates. So the current political context. Well, change is a constant in political life. America, as we know it today, is a far different place than it was 20 years ago when you were uh, born. Certainly 9-11 is one of the most important things that have taken place in that 20-year period. So the world and America is a far different place today than it was when you were born. So what is different today in America, and what is it that we should focus on in terms of thinking about some of the changes that are occurring in American life? Well, first of all, Americans are far more highly polarized politically today than was true two decades ago. Today, Republicans and Democrats are much more divided along ideological lines. In fact, if you look at the distributions of party identification over the last 20 years, they hardly changed. They're basically the same today as they were in 1992. If you look at ideological orientations, that's not changed either. Over the last 20 years, basically the percentage of people who claim to be strong liberals or strong conservatives or um, moderates uh, are basically the same today than what they were 20 years ago. What has changed is that ideology and party identifications have become much more closely aligned together. So that today, if you are a Republican, that really means primarily you are a conservative, at least in terms of the way in which people claim these labels. Or if you say you're a liberal, then almost automatically people will say, oh, you must be a Democrat. That was not as true 20 years ago. Uh, secondly, there's far more anger and exasperation directed towards our political institutions and elected leaders. The candidacies of both Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders tapped into these uh, sentiments of anger and exasperation. In fact, the last time that Americans thought the country was moving in the right direction occurred uh, in January of 2004, more than 10 decades, I mean, 10 years ago. Uh, in addition, 
there's a growing racial and ethnic diversity within the American electorate. I touched upon this last night for those of you who are here. But basically, the share of non-white voters has grown immensely within the American electorate over the last uh, several decades. And if you look just even between the year 2000 and the year 2012, you see a major jump in the percentage of non-whites casting ballots within the American elections. And there is a generational replacement that has been occurring within American politics as well. The baby boomer generation, of which I'm a part, those born after World War II, that generation is now being replaced by your generation, the millennials, okay? the youngest generation in American politics, the ones that were first el eligible to vote in the 2000 election. Uh, the baby boom generation is the most conservative of the generations with regard to social issues, while the millennial generation is the most liberal with regard to those same issues. And there's declining levels of religious affiliation in the United States. I touched upon this last night as well. While we are still a highly religious society cross-nationally, America remains highly religious. And if you look at the percentage of Americans who report that they attend church weekly, that percentage, around 40%, has not changed at all over the last 50, 60 years. What has changed is the percentage who report they never go to church. That has increased. It's the people who used to say they went to church once or twice a month. That is really where the decline is uh, occurring. And so we're becoming much more bipolar, too, in terms of our religious practices. So the percentage of Americans who report that they have no particular religious affiliation has also increased considerably. And I talked about uh, some of the difficulties in polls last night, but this is the one that is based upon 35,000 respondents, the Pew Religious Net, uh, Landscape Survey. And you can see, according to their surveys at least, this tremendous jump in the unaffiliated, those who claim no particular religious affiliation. Uh, and not only do societies change over time, but so do political parties. And almost from one presidential election to the next, the characteristics and capacities of the presidential candidates of the two major parties change. Nevertheless, while we have this context of change, there is a general constancy in terms of the type of person that the American people generally desire their president to exhibit. So regardless of one's partisan inclinations, Americans have typically desired that their president exhibit two very broad categories of characteristics. One is that they exhibit certain competencies, and the other is that they exhibit certain character traits. In terms of competencies, we want someone who is, quote, up to the task, a person who is competent physically. And in this election, we have older candidates, and already health has become a focal point in terms of some of our discussion. We want people who are competent intellectually as well as competent politically to hold the office. And with regard to character, uh, character characteristics or traits, uh, we want our president to be a consistent and reliable person, someone who's honest and trustworthy, someone who is moral and religious. And I talked a little bit about 
the cultural expectation of the president being religious last night. But unfortunately, in this election, both major candidates exhibit some important liabilities in terms of desired qualities for the office they are seeking. Now, I'm speaking here more as an individual, an individual who is a Christian. Uh, not necessarily everyone is going to agree with my assessments, and that's okay. Uh, I'm talking from my perspective and trying to, in many ways, figure out how I'm going to vote in this fall election as well. So when we look at Trump in terms of his competence and character, well, uh, at a minimum, uh, some important questions can be raised about the competence of Trump to serve as president. He's never held public office. In fact, he's our first presidential nominee since Wendell Wilkie in 1940, who's never held a public office. Right? So he's a businessman. Wendell Wilkie was a businessman. Um, but how important is political experience in terms of running the office of the presidency? And major questions can be raised related to his serving as commander-in-chief. Here I'm thinking about international politics and his awareness of some of the, um, the international situation. In terms of Trump's character, I'm quoting just of something that Michael Gerson, who was um, a Wheaton College graduate, who was a former speechwriter for uh, President George W. Bush, is now a syndicated columnist with the Washington Post. This is something he wrote uh, earlier this year. Uh, Trump imagines leadership as pure act, free from reflection and restraint. He has expressed disdain for religious and ethnic minorities. He has proposed restrictions on press freedom and threatened political enemies with retribution. He offers himself as the embodiment of the national will, driven by an intuitive vision of greatness. The issue related to Hillary Clinton is less one of political experience and one more of judgment, honesty, and integrity. And this is particularly evident in terms of her use of a private email server during her tenure as Secretary of State and her continued use despite official warnings related to such use and her various iterations of the responses she has given about her use in the wake of the public controversy generated by uh, her using that private server. It's also evident in terms of the practices and use of the Clinton Foundation. And I would say it's also perhaps evident in terms of some of the transparency, lack of transparency that was evident with regard to some of her health issues. Now, two resulting narratives will basically be found during the course of this campaign. And each, cam each narrative for each candidate will have some particular strengths and some particular weaknesses. For Trump, his basic message is this. I represent change from the failed policies of the present administration. For Clinton, it's this. I am the experienced, qualified, competent candidate who can be trusted to handle the powers associated with the office of the president. But each of these two narratives, while they have particular strengths, also have some inherent weaknesses. For Clinton, what is implicit in this message is, I represent more of the same, continuity, basically a third term for the present person in office. And 
overall, Americans typically desire political change after eight years of a presidency of one political party. In fact, in the last eight elections in which a president has served uh, from one party for eight years, in seven of those eight elections where we've had an opportunity to move to a different political party to handle the presidency, the party of the uh, opposition has uh, won the presidency. So that gives Trump a tremendous advantage in this particular election in that there are sort of a cultural tendency towards wanting to have change after eight years of one party. The implicit uh, weakness of the Trump narrative is, given his temperament, does he represent too much change? Is it a risky kind of change? While we want change, the question is, is it too great of a change? So what then should Christians who seek to be faithful to the Lord do in this presidential election? How should we vote, if at all? How should we respond to fellow Christians with whom we disagree politically? And how should we view the state of our country should the candidate we favor lose the election? So I want to briefly address these questions. Well, first of all, how should we Christians vote? Do we vote on the basis of a candidate's Christian faith? Do we vote on the basis of the issues that candidates um, promote? Do we vote on the basis of who will nominate future Supreme Court justices? Or do we vote for some third party candidate as a protest vote or not vote at all for the presidency? Well, should we vote on the basis of a president's, a candidate's uh, religious faith? It can be a consideration, but a candidate's religious faith alone is generally not a sufficient condition either to vote for or against a political candidate. I'm a Christian, but that does not mean that I'm qualified to be president of the United States. Now, Luther allegedly stated, now I've been preparing for this lecture, I always thought he did state this, but apparently it cannot be found in any of his writings, uh, even though it's a very common thing that's been said, so I put allegedly. Luther allegedly stated that he would rather be ruled by a competent Turk, who at that time was, would be a Muslim for sure, than by an incompetent Christian. But do we vote on the basis of a presidential candidate's issue positions? Uh, single issue voting for sure, a candidate's stand on abortion or a candidate's stance on the environment is generally not a good basis for making a voting decision either. We must not just know where the candidate stands on those particular issues, but we need to know just how important is this issue in the basic agenda of the uh, candidate in terms of what particular issues are they going to really promote once they get elected to office. And do we vote on the basis of who will, uh, who will nominate Supreme Court justices? Well, this can be an important argument, but the problem is we don't know exactly who they're going to nominate, and we, don't, and we need to know what kinds of issues the candidate really thinks are the most important to be addressed by the court uh, if, uh, if someone is to be nominated by that particular person. Or do we vote for third-party candidates or not vote at all for president? 
do we basically try to, in this election, vote for a third-party candidate as a protest vote? Or do we just skip the presidential candidate, uh, contest and vote down ticket for other candidates? But either approach of those two, at least in its more immediate effects, helps to elect either Clinton or Trump by taking away votes from one of the two major candidates. So I would argue that it's far from clear just for whom Christians should cast their ballots in this election. Both candidates have major liabilities. Clinton has ethical liabilities. Trump has personality, experience, and I think in some instances competency liabilities. So our country faces grave challenges, and the choice that confronts us in this election is one in which it's far less a choice between two highly qualified candidates in, we have, in which we ask who is the better candidate, and far more one this time in which we have two seriously flawed candidates about, about whom we ask who is the lesser of two evils. So in this situation, I think Christians need to be highly cautious in showing enthusiastic support for either of the two major candidates. Nor do I think, given this situation, that there really is any particular presidential candidate who, by virtue of their character, the life they have lived, or the positions they have adopted, necessarily constitutes the one candidate for whom committed Christians must vote. Well, how then should we respond to fellow Christians who choose to vote for a presidential candidate that one opposes? I think it's the same as we always should, and that is with charity. Far too often, Christians in this country in recent years begin with political divisions within American politics and then ask, which side is God on politically? But the question really should be not which side is God on, but are we on God's side? We should be truly aligned with God's purposes, not seeking to align God's purposes with our political preferences. Unfortunately, all too often, I think Christians are inclined to make idols out of their ideologies, bowing down to certain perspectives as if they reflected eternal truths, and then evaluating our fellow Christians, not as brothers and sisters in Christ, but as by, by the political positions they adopt. As Paul notes in Galatians 3.28, we are all one in Christ. There is no Jew or Greek, no male or female. And by extension, there's no Democrat or Republican, no liberal or conservative when we are in Christ. God does not judge us according to these distinctions, and neither should we if we identify and seek to be a faithful to Jesus Christ. Rather, as Paul later notes in his letter to the Ephesians, Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and wrangling and slander, um, together with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. And I would argue that ultimately, the political health of this country will not likely to be substantially better or worse be based upon which candidate wins or loses. Regardless of who is elected, the situation remains much the same. The same problems remain. The challenges which confront the country remains the same. What changes is simply the person who's chosen to address these problems. And given our systems of laws and balances, there are important constraints on the ability of the president to act in the way he or she may desire. And ultimately, this is a good thing. We don't want an authoritarian dictator uh, in power. 
Rather, we want a balanced type of approach in which we seek uh, the cooperation between Congress and the President and the courts in order for laws to be enacted. And promising and delivering are two different things. So we should always be recognizing that regardless of what a candidate may promise, it's far from clear whether that can ever really occur. So regardless of who is elected, I think neither candidate really represents some, quote, political savior who will deliver us from our nation's problems. Some candidates may be better equipped to handle certain problems than other candidates, but regardless of who is elected, there's no guarantee of political success. All right, so I have loaded the wrong PowerPoint. I worked on this this morning, and I had some particular thoughts here that I will talk to you about. These were sketches in my initial one. That, so ultimately, I want to emphasize that as Christians, we recognize our dependence upon God. And we can take comfort in the sovereignty of God. That really, it's, while we have responsibilities as human agents, and we must be responsible, I think we should be prayerfully considering who we vote for, and in that prayerful consideration, recognize that we are fallible creatures. Even our own assessments of who we think is the bright, right candidate to vote for may actually be the wrong one. So just as we come before God humbly because we lack righteousness uh, religiously, in the same way we should come humbly before God because we are fallible creatures and do not know the full uh, information about all the things of the complex problems that uh, politicians handle. Paul Henry, who was a professor of political science at Calvin College, who I've got to look at the time. Okay, uh, at Calvin College, who later became a congressman uh, from West Michigan, and for whom the Henry Institute was named, uh, wrote a book in the early 1970s entitled "Politics for Evangelicals," and it's a very simple thin book. If you ever have a chance, I hopefully your library has it, take it out and read the third chapter in that particular book. If evangelicals had paid more attention to Paul Henry in the 1970s, we probably would be in a different political situation today than what we are. But Paul Henry talks about the moral ambiguity of politics in that third chapter and why, as Christians, we come to differing political positions. Because First of all, the Bible itself does not contain a lot of political direction. And we have to approach the Bible with theological humility in terms of trying to understand, does this particular passage that relates to politics, is this for a particular time and place, for a particular king, or is it for something that's much more uh, eternal in nature? We have to kind of wrestle with, how do we interpret these particular passages? And when the Bible was written, people of Israel, and, and during the New Testament time, the Jews did not have rights to vote. The Bible really doesn't talk much about democratic life and how we should act within a democratic society. So we have to, first of all, begin with theological humility in some of these things. But then we need to recognize that when we address political problems, we have some information. But we always desire more information about the situation. But you can't always wait for more information. This is a problem now. 
So how do we address this problem with the information we have, knowing that ideally we would like to have more information to make a more informed decision? So there are complexities with regard to trying to make assessments about this political situation. And then there's always the unanticipated consequences of legislation. We can support a piece of legislation for trying to accomplish A, B, and C, but it may very well be the a legislation, in the eyes of some, might also accomplish D, E, and F. But we don't know. That's a debatable point. Will it result in this or not? We don't know. So Christians who share the same devotion to the Lord will come to biblical passages, perhaps interpret them differently, but even if they interpret them the same, they come to a political problem. They may make different assessments as to what are the pri primary problems to be addressed as opposed to secondary problems. But even if they agree that this is the major problem, and even if they agree that the information they have is valid, they could still come to differing positions in a, on a policy because they come to different understandings of what is the likely consequence of those bills. So politics is something that is much more complex than sometimes we realize, and I think as a result, we must come humbly before our God when we think about political life and how we should respond uh, as Christians. So I'll leave it at that, uh, and I'll take any questions you might have with regard to Christians and this election. So thank you. So questions. Yes, go ahead. Uh, can you give your take on a third-party candidate like a Gary Johnson in a polarized election like we have? Well, um, this particular candidate does have some political experience. He was a governor of a state. Um, but again, you know, uh, one, of my, one of my major concerns as an individual citizen is much more international politics. Now, maybe that's because I'm not fighting for a job. I've already had a job and I've retired and so forth. So I'm, I'm primarily concerned about uh, international politics and what's likely to happen, who has the, their hands on the nuclear weapons and so forth, and do we have nuclear proliferation, and should we support NATO or not support NATO? Well, uh, unfortunately for Gary Johnson, uh, in the one interview that he recently had with regard to uh, some uh, media, Comment uh, reporter, uh, he obviously did not recognize Aleppo. Well, this is the kind of difficulty. Okay, is he fully informed on the situation? He is a governor. He has political experience in terms of handling some domestic issues, but what is the level of international awareness on that part? So, from my perspective, given my particular concerns, I, I find him not as attractive as others might. Yes. You mentioned about this being constitutional, right? Uh, Constitution Day. Yes. Can you speak to your opinion on the constitutional perspectives of the various candidates? Is one more a originalist? Is one more progressive that will sure. interpret and reinterpret? Um, I think that's an important consideration. Okay. Fair enough. Um, so, in terms of constitutional interpretation, there are people who say original intent is the way in which we should look at 
uh, interpreting the Constitution. And the original intent is a notion that we should go back and try to discern what was the intentions of the people who passed this legislation in terms of what this law should address. Okay? And then there are others who say, no, uh, the, what this law means is whatever we want it to mean today. Things change over time. And so while it was true this particular law was passed for this particular concern, we can say it addresses this concern today. So that, we'll call that the more, quote, progressive of you. Um, where the candidates stand on that? That's a little bit harder for me to say. Uh, at least historically, Republicans are much more original intent direction. Okay? And Democrats have a tendency to move in a much more, quote, progressive fashion. I don't really know where Trump stands on this issue. This is one of the things about Trump. Trump has been a master of, of uh, media uh, control in the sense of saying outlandish things that basically push other candidates off the table. In fact, I think I read a statistic that 60% of all media coverage in this election, where it started, I don't know, but 60% of all media coverage in this election has been about Trump. Uh, and that's, you know, going back to the primaries, but where they started, I'm not certain. Okay. Well, he's very good at that, but despite the fact that he's been on the media all the time, we, we don't really know where he stands on a lot of issues. We know he represents change, and we know some of the things he said. So, I'm a little hesitant to say that he's original intent. I don't know, okay? I think Hillary Clinton would probably be, uh, in terms of looking for a Supreme Court justice, would be someone who would um, be um, more inclined towards uh, probably moving past original intent. But just how far past, I don't know. The, the thing about Clinton, at least if what I've heard is she represents, at least in international politics, a little bit more hawkish position than, than uh, Obama uh, represents, but perhaps uh, more of a less hawkish position than Donald Trump on some matters. Other questions? Well, I don't know where, where you may stand politically. I do think that this is an important election. Uh, I think we need to uh, recognize that while we have some personal responsibilities in trying to make very informed decisions that our best position is one of prayer and that we should uh, we should be praying for our country but at the same time recognizing that our ultimate loyalty belongs to God. We don't worship the United States we are members of the Church of Jesus Christ. That's where our loyalties belong. We want to recognize that we are blessed by living in a country in which we enjoy precious freedoms. There are you know, problems in our society, and we need to recognize and address those problems. But yet there are many things that make us blessed by living in, a, in this particular country. So we should be thankful for God, for what we do enjoy, 
We should seek to preserve what we do enjoy, but at the same time, our hope is not in Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump or some other presidential candidate. Our hope remains in Jesus Christ. Thank you.